institutionalizing changes, but it was a, it, it suggested that there can be moments where you can build on and start actually putting those changes and those institutions in place. So I think 2020 is sort of symbolic of, in my mind, of understanding that those moments are available and that we need to build on them. We are talking about care-centered politics from the home to the planet by Robert Gottlieb and uh, just uh, a, a fantastic collection of those things, joy of change projects. Uh, and I hear you saying, wow, if we could connect the dots with all of these, um, we could probably um, really experience that joy of change that you talk about. Um, I want to thank you for all your great work and um, I'm so excited about some of the ideas that you're putting forward here now and it's so hopeful and we, we need that so badly. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Heartland Stories Radio is brought to you by the Heartland Health Research Alliance, conducting science to enhance public health and environmental quality through food and farming innovation. You can find out more at heartlandhealthresearchalliance.org. Whenever we're in Portland, we always try to put in at least five or six hours at cable, right. because we're the, the Firesign Fire Theater. Theater. So listen to 90.7 FM for cable. Hello, welcome to a very special edition of Film of 11. Joining me are, of course, Lisa Neville, of University of New York, Cortland, and Matthew of uh, Cabo's Gremlin Time and uh, other light masterpieces of radio technology. We're doing what we occasionally do, which is devote an entire half of an hour to one specific film. And in this case, it is the film, It Should Happen to You, which stars Judy Holliday and Jack Lemmon in his first appearance and Peter Lawford in an additional role released in 1954, written by Garson Kanan, a prominent playwright at the time, and directed by George Cukor, one of the Hollywood greats. Uh, are you a New Yorker? Only since about less than two years. Oh, are oh. you? Well, 10 years, still not used to it. I'm from Westfield, New Jersey. You know, the one thing I can't understand about New York is why everybody here is so unfriendly. I've wanted the same thing myself. Where are you from? Binghamton, that's upstate oh. New York. Pete Shepard. How do you do? Thank you. So, Lisa, tell us why you became so fascinated with this particular film. I love Judy Holliday, who, if you have never seen her, she only made a handful of films. Uh, she died young, but she is a brilliant and intelligent and thoughtful comedian who made her films in the 1950s. She teamed up with Garrison Kanan, the writer. They were both progressives, both leftists in Hollywood at the time. And they made, I think, four films together. This film, It Should Happen to You, set in Manhattan. Judy Holiday is new to New York. She's come uh, from out of town to sort of make her way. She meets cute Jack Lemmon in Central Park on a hot summer day. They get talking. Jack Lemmon's a documentary filmmaker. And they start talking about their lives and how they came to New York. And Judy Holiday confesses that she wants to be somebody. Well, do you have a name? <laughs> of course. Gladys Glover. Oh, glad to know you're Gladys. Thank you. Gladys Glover, huh? 
not much of a name. Why do you say that? Well, because nobody ever heard of it. And I guess nobody ever will. Well, you mind that? Of course. Well, you're on the young side when all that seems so important. After a while, you won't care so much. Sure, because then it'll be too late. And she attributes this motive to everyone. This is a universal motive. Everyone wants to be someone. Wow. Everybody wants to stand outside of the crowd. But she comes to New York and she's just one of the crowd. And she's very frustrated by this. The whole reason I came to New York in the first place was to try and make a name for myself. And I haven't even gotten started on it. I'm getting nowhere. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, some people, when they get to that point where they realize that they're getting nowhere, you know, they just kill themselves. But I don't feel like it. Well, that is a fairly drastic step. The only other thing is to go back home, do the same thing as everybody else. Go back to work in the shoe factory. Marry the first man that asks, or the second. And then, goodbye, name for yourself. Goodbye, dreams. In fact, <laughs> goodbye, Charlie. Jack Lemon is kind of benevolently amused by this, but he, he sort of pushes back against it a little. You know, he says, what's so wrong with being part of the crowd? He says, privacy, and he says this to her several times, privacy is the most precious thing for most people. You know, and it's more important, he always says, to stand for something than to rise above. And so this is the, the conflict that they have, but nevertheless, they're a wonderful couple. He's attracted to her, he's delighted by her, she's lovely and, and uh, sweet and stubborn and she's attracted to him and eventually he moves into her apartment building and, and they, they, they date for a while. But the point of the film, uh, the, the sort of conceit of the film is that Judy Holiday rents a billboard in Columbus Square, a huge billboard and has her name put on it. I want to see Mr. Pfeiffer, please. Who? Mr. Horace Pfeiffer. Isn't this his place? This is the Horace Pfeiffer Company, but there is no Mr. Pfeiffer. <sighs> Excuse me. Just what was this in reference to? About the sign on Columbus Circle? Yes. It says it's for rent. Yes. Well, so who do I see in reference to it if there's no Mr. Pfeiffer, like you say? No, well, one moment. Well, that's Mr. Enterkin. Walk right down the hall and turn So that right everybody will see her name and she will rise above the crowd. And then she gets not just one billboard, but several more billboards. And people start to hear about her. And the film is basically about celebrification. She's the Paris Hilton, the Kim Kardashian of her day. She's somebody who becomes famous for being famous and nothing else. Everybody knows her even name, worse. but nobody knows quite what she stands for. What? Yeah. Well, yeah. even worse. Uh, like the influencers, so-called influencers of today. There exactly. are hundreds of them, and yeah. I've never heard of any of them, and yet their names keep popping up on various websites I look at, such as Vulture, etc., about um, uh, contemporary yeah. media. Matthew reminded me there's a scene where she's in a department store shopping with Jack Lemmon, and uh, the, one of the billboards, you can see it through the windows of the department store, and when she tells her name to the clerk, the clerk says, are you her? And then there's suddenly a crowd of masses around her and she's her. But nobody knows, you know, what, what does her mean? It doesn't really mean anything. Would you mind? Would you mind signing this to my little niece? She collects the whole, she'll get the biggest kick. Harold, yes. guess who this is? Yes. 
Like that uh, faux celebrity in the 70s, Evangeline, who put up billboards of herself in Los Angeles and ended up famous for being busty and putting a billboard up about herself, but actually never done anything. She eventually gets a, a sort of attracts the kind of parasite that you know you one would attract, you know, when one's famous and uh, a kind of a manager who puts her in all of these different compromising positions, getting it becomes her integrity gets chipped away at more and more. Do what? Once I'm on. Look, Gladys, I don't know, figure something. Maybe just tell your story like you told it to me. It's funny. Funny? Oh, fascinating. Yeah. I better not. Yeah, that's right. Might be some cash in it. There would? Might. Of course, I'd expect my cut. Oh, sure. Why not? You sure you're not hooked up in any way, you two? How do you mean? No, no. Or like engaged or engaged to be engaged. Look, mister, I Wait a second. Why? Well, I was just thinking, there's this TV turn, I think they call it man and wife. You know, you get married right on a program. I understand it's quite a haul. Really? What are you looking at? I don't know. Look, Gladys, please don't get mixed up in anything more. You want to turn into a freak? Now, how do you think that anything... Of course, there's that other program that people speak. They're always looking for goofballs. Well, stuff. you hear that? You're a goofball. No, look, that's just a, that's just a figure of speech, son. Look, I happen to notice fellow runs a program. Let me sound them. See what happens. Okay, honey? Go ahead. Sound. Ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard the story of... So the film is about what happens to her, how that occurs, and the two men in her life. Jack Lemmon is pretty disgusted. The more intense the celebrification gets, the more he's fed up with it, and finally he leaves. Peter Lawford, on the other hand, is a rich sort of playboy who's fairly superficial to begin with, and he courts her, and there's this wonderful moment where she actually turns on him and tells him she's not resisting his advances merely because that is the appropriate thing to do for a woman in a 1950s film. But in fact, she gets to choose who she sleeps with, and she doesn't want to sleep with him. And it's just this wonderful scene way ahead of its time, actually, where she asserts her sense of absolute individuality and turns on him. I think I better be going. Why? Because I'm not enjoying myself. Oh, give me time. I don't mind the way you're acting exactly. What I mind is the way you give the idea you're sort of entitled. Maybe I am. Oh, well, sure. If you want to make it into a sort of business proposition. Well, that's what you're doing, isn't it? Uh, if you're looking for true romances, Missy, the magazines are full of it, the but The way I... it looks to me, Mr. Adams, there are two kinds of people. The ones who'll do anything to make a name for themselves. And the ones who'll do almost anything. And what are you? I'll let you know. Oh, now, wait a second. No, you didn't really want to have a conference. At least not the kind I thought, anyway. You just said that. Yeah, but after all... And in the second place, and this is the most important thing, pretty soon there are going to be ads and signs all over that say about me being the average American girl. Your idea, wasn't it? Well? Well, I don't think the average American girl should do this. So, good night. I think it's a sign of my increasing maturity as a human being that I found the scenes of his seduction of her or attempted seduction quite unnerving, if not distasteful. They're cringeworthy, there's no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Yet, at the same time, she said exactly the right thing, which is, 
I don't like you because you carry with yourself a sense of entitlement. And that is exactly what is the problem with uh, American men of a certain generation when it comes to relations with the opposite sex. They feel entitled. I thought that at least that one line really addressed the discomfort that contemporary viewers might feel about the me tooness of some of the plot. On the other hand, Jack Lemon is not without his creepiness because remember that he meets her in Central Park and then followed her. I'd say if you'd uh, found out where she lived. Care to give me your address? I could drop you a postcard and fix it up for you to see this picture when it gets done. Really? Yeah. I give my right arm to see myself in the movies. Well, you don't have to give me your right arm. Just give me your right address. Two six two. And then West moved into that apartment on the same floor with her. I mean, that's the other side of the aggressive male. That's the the stalker type. It's very interesting that that is more acceptable because it's founded on uh, a true love that he feels for her than Peter Lawford's careless, habitual attitude towards women and seduction. Well, there's two differences with Jack Lemmon, and you you hit one is, of course, that he has completely different feelings and thus different intentions toward her. And secondly, Jack Lemmon is more than willing to accept no. The minute that she says no, he's added. He he leaves. He does not push himself upon her. You're you're right. Mm. It's it's the romantic gesture of moving into her apartment building could be seen as somewhat stalkerish. But I I I, I was okay with it. <laughs> well, I've kind okay. of felt how the to contrast the two men. We we understand where they're both coming from. Uh, Jack Lemon is attracted to her right from the start he's looking at other people and she kind of stands out and then he gets her address and he moves in uh the the peter lawford character his father's company had always put their soap ads on that billboard and here they there was some mistake that it was open and so she was able to rent it for this period of time and so peter lawford's character is just doing business. Oh, we got to get this back. Oh, it's this woman. No. Well, we'll talk her out of it. But she turns out to be a better negotiator than they anticipated. So then they, in exchange for that billboard on Columbus Circle, they give her a bunch of other ones around town and that starts to build her fame. And so then they want to start exploiting her fame. And so they start putting her in ads. And Well, there's two phases with the Peter Lawford romance. And that's the yeah. first phase. You're absolutely right. Is manipulative. Yeah. Um, but the second phase is opportunistic. I mean, he does then want to bed her. He just wants a conquest. But then Lemon, he like really cares for her. That's why he's all upset about what she's doing. And he takes the time to explain, you know, what's wrong about having her name on the billboard. What is the point of it? Where is it getting you? No place. <laughs> no place? I started out with no sign, so then I got one sign, so then I got six. So where do you get no place? Let me put it this way. What most people, real people, want is privacy. Now, that's about the best thing anybody can have. Not me. What is this craze to get so well known? Why craze? Well, you think everybody is so anxious to be above the crowd? Yes. But what's the point of it? In the first place, everybody can't be above the crowd, can they? No, but everybody can try if they want to. But why isn't it more important to learn how to be a part of the crowd? 
Not me. It isn't just making a name. Don't you understand that, Gladys? The thing is making a name stand for something. Different names stand for different things. So who said not? You want my opinion? No. All right, now my opinion is this. It's better if your name stands for something on one block than if it stands for nothing or something bad all over the entire world. I don't follow your point. I sure wish you could. This thing is getting to be more in our way every day. What do you mean in our way? The reason why I wanted to talk about this movie yep. is that it was spot on for its time. It's the generation of a celebrification that's happening on almost every front now. Almost every line of endeavor is, is just creating its own celebrities. So we don't just have movie stars anymore. We have television stars and singing stars and rock and roll is coming in. Artists and writers, and it's no longer enough to simply do the work. It's one has to become a celebrity who does the work. And so that's, I think, what uh, Garson Kanan is seeing. And But he, I don't know if they could possibly have foreseen what we have now. Oh, no. Which is just... This is just completely insane. <laughs> yeah. So there's this tendency, and it's been for you know since the beginning of time. I mean, Horace talked about this. Homer talked about it about mm. uh, the impulse for people to have fame and renown in their community. But and and, and that's what Jack Lemmon's pushing back against. So yes, he's saying that that impulse to have fame and renown is in itself fairly meaningless that what has to stand behind it, what has to be part of it, is to be an integral part of your community. He keeps saying you have to stand for something. There is something that one must do or contribute or participate in some way that matters in the world, that you are somebody if you do that. And it um, really doesn't matter if you're recognized or not, but if you're recognized without doing that, he's disgusted by that. That's vacuous. But Often, whenever we see him, especially at the apartment, he's out on the stoop, he's amongst people, he's a part of his community. On the other hand, he's also servicing the media thing. He's making a documentary about Central Park, but of course he's trying to isolate ordinary people and show them what they're like. And then also he's wanting to present people to themselves. So he's, he's interested in people as ordinary people He's he's outer directed. Yeah, no, he yeah. says that. He says he makes documentaries because he wants to show people their own lives. It's almost as he what he wants to do is do. It, it, it is the other side of what Andy Warhol was talking about. I mean, he does believe that everyone is important, that everyone is a star in their own movie, and he wants to show people that. But that means that means there's a democracy to that. Everybody gets to be a star in their own movie. There's not just one star that's up here elevated that everybody's everybody's watching their movie. And I, I love that. So he's a documentary filmmaker who wants to let people be noticed who aren't ordinarily noticed. And that's what draws him to her because she is an extraordinary and interesting person. He doesn't mm. think that people have to be cookie cutters. You know, she's unique and funny. And so he wants to make a movie about her. But what she wants is to be adored. She wants to be adored without being, without having contributed anything to him. Um, yeah. So at the end of the of the film, after he's he's left and he's said goodbye to her by making a documentary film where he tells her goodbye. And she really really her charming, film. really charming moment in the movie. The way she's watching it and she's suddenly she the power of cinema is such that 
she keeps wanting to talk to him or it's like he's actually there but i i, I interrupted please proceed. oh that's wonderful so wonderful but then after so we we see him and he's going on with his life and he's making a new movie and he's making a film about the zoo he wants us to see what the zoo animals see when they look out at us this really explores media. We're talking about a movie called It Should Happen to You from 1954, directed by George Cukor, written by Carson Kanan, and starring Jack Lemmon and Judy Holiday, the fabulous Judy Holiday. There's a scene in the middle where her name is called out from the TV, and she thinks someone is calling to her, and she turns oh, and responds yeah. to it. In the and bar, then they yeah. and see that they're talking about her on the TV, and they <laughs> go up closer to the TV. That interrupts probably the most tender scene between, there's two really wonderful tender scenes between Jack Lemmon and Judy Holiday. One's when they're having dinner in her apartment and the other is in that bar. And they're singing and playing the piano together and singing a song and he's telling her he wants her to marry him, but not yet. Why not now? Because he wants her to get this fame stuff out of her system ah, first. And you know, they're real happy together and they're having like this nice moment and the bar's full of people. Everything, they're just a little more ready to, well, it's like there's real people uh, talking to each other. Fall in love. So why shouldn't and then the television interrupts. Yeah? And the, just like Matthew says, they call her name Lettuce and she thinks it's a person. He's talking about me. Looks well, around. <laughs> then she goes up to the television and stares at it. And you, then there's a shot of Jack Lemmon's face, and you know. He says, oh, he's lost her. Oh, yeah, that's very poignant. You're right. She's got a quirky voice, but she's also a wonderful physical comedian. There's lots of interesting gags throughout this, visually and verbally throughout the whole movie. I felt that it was very much like uh, a movie from the French New Wave because it was just about people and we have this relationship between the couple and then she's grappling with the media and how they want to use her. And then most of it is shot in on location, like a Woody Allen film from a couple decades later, but also like the films of Francois Truffaut and Jean-Luc Godard from the French New Wave. Funny you should mention Francois Truffaut. Here's what the director had to say in 1954 when he was writing for arts, newspapers, and magazines. He wrote, the theme of It Should Happen to You is marvelous. There's much more than a tasteful diversion. If you look carefully, you see the whole mechanism of celebrity against the background of the absurd. The moral of the story is that it is easier to find glory than to justify it, and that such glory has little meaning since it is acquired within a society that is unconscious of its absurdity. You know, and then he goes on to praise it for its being a comic masterpiece, and that Cukor is one of the great film directors and a genius, and that he and Garson Kanan have made an almost perfect movie. And that was collected in the book, The Films in My Life by Francois Truffaut from Simon & Schuster. I can go along with that. There's a marvelous scene when Judy Holiday comes back to the apartment building and here's Jack Lemmon. He's outside and he's moved in there, but she doesn't quite know it. And they're talking. The camera is set up kind of next to the building, kind of looking down at the stoop. And in the background, you see this the canyons of New York just goes all the way to the horizon. Now, if this had been mm -hmm. shot in Hollywood, 
we oh, would have yeah. looked straight on to the apartment building and you know just to hide that and just suggest it's in the background but here in this film uh charles lang is the cinematographer on this a great shot of new york i mean you can't fake it i mean nowadays you could fake it pretty well but back then it's actually on the street so we see them talking actually out in new york and then they walk inside and a very nice cut to the studio set and here we have these nice little series of tracking shots as they go up the stairs and they go to his apartment and then they go down the hall to her apartment. And the whole time, she's trying to get him to go to Columbus Circle. She won't tell him why, but she thinks that he'll see something at Columbus Circle. Say, um, you happen to be over around Columbus Circle lately this week? No. Why don't you go up there sometime? What for? Oh, look around. At what? Different things. Such as what? Um, different signs. Signs? Sure, don't you ever look at signs? I suppose so. Take my word. If you go up there around Columbus Circle, yeah. you'll see something. So she follows him into his apartment, and then she goes to the window to think that there's a view. But once she sees that she can't see anything out of his apartment, she has him come down to her apartment. And so here we have, again, even though we have this nice dialogue going on, we're establishing the geography of where their apartments are uh, within the building. And then she gets him to her apartment and she has him look out the window. Now we've seen the billboard, but we see that there's all these buildings in the way and it's way down at the end of the alley and we only see one corner of the building. So we can recognize it, but uh, unfortunately uh, Jack Lemon doesn't know what we're looking at. You can yeah. see the billboard from her kitchen window, but it's way down at the end of an alley and there's all these buildings and you only see the <laughs> corner of it. And since we've already seen oh. it, we know it's there. But the Jack but Jack Lemon, he looks down there and it's just like this abstract painting of shapes and uh. lines. <laughs> Notice anything? No, what? What's the matter with your eyesight anyhow? Nothing. And we see it, but then we also see what he's not seeing, or know what he's not seeing. It's called dramatic irony, Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> visually, it's really a great little scene. I get, it justifies how great a director Cukor is, and he's been kind of overlooked. I think you make a really good point about the realism that it's a it's a realist comedy, and it, it really is. And it's so interesting that Truffaut talked about the absurdity of wanting fame in an unconscious environment. And what the French, of course, would recognize as being unconscious, the Americans, the United Statesians, would call you know, being all American. And they turn, and Judy Hall, that's why Judy Hall is perfect for this, because she plays the naive blonde, which is such a trope oh. in American filmmaking, but she's so smart. Underneath yes. it, it's somewhat in the way that Marilyn Monroe did that too. She put that mm, intelligence yeah. underneath it. But Peter Lawford wants to turn her into this all-American girl. You'll be our spokesgirl for our soap because you are the all-American girl. So all of a sudden, she's gone from being just a name on a billboard. Now she's the all-American girl because, of course, she is completely unconscious. She's Camus' absurd person because there's nothing underneath any of her actions or any of her feelings. She's just, <laughs> she's just this all-American girl, which means she's just surface. So she washes with the soap and she looks clean, but there's nothing there. At one point, Jack Lemon says, you're the 
typical American girl because there is nothing typical about you. <laughs> but what Jack Lemmon does see, and this is what is so yes. tender and proletariat about Garrison Kanan and Judy Holiday, what this is the proletariat message in the film, is that every single person does matter. Every single person is somebody. And she isn't just the all-American girl. She isn't just some dumb blonde. She, he sees that her eccentricity is really kind of a doorway into her intelligence and into her individuality. And he yes. loves her for that. So we've been talking to Lisa Neville and uh, Matthew of Cabo's Gremlin Time about George Cukor and Gerson Kanan's It Should Happen to You, a movie made in 1954, but more timely than ever. Now it's streaming, I guess if you go to Amazon, but you can get some uh, DVDs. This is just an, an overlooked masterpiece. Really. It's great talking to you guys. And uh, I'm feeling a sense of vertigo uh, because I think that that may be what we'll be talking about next. Uh, maybe uh, later in December or early 2023, well, if we'll uh, last that long. You can follow the thread because later in 1954, Judy Holiday and Jack Lemmon made a, another movie together. Their only other movie together. It's not nearly so good. It's just a light film. But it also uh -huh. stars Kim Novak. In her first. Oh! And in 1958, Jack Lemmon would star with Kim Novak and Jimmy Stewart in Bell Book and Candle. Yeah, that's all inter interconnected. It must be a conspiracy of some kind. <laughs> Hollywood. Anyway, uh, great talking to you guys. We will uh, see you again uh, next month or early next year. Again, thanks for listening to Community Radio KBOO Portland. Film at 11 will be back next Friday. So until then, Keep watching your screens. Giants defeat Chicago, 5 to 3. Cincinnati beat St. Louis, 10 to 9. Brooklyn White Washington. We might have been meant for each other. I only had the money. It isn't a question of money, believe me, kid. I could have been on the covers of matchboxes, pencils, anything you can think of. We're going to have a long talk in a few days, Gladys. In fact, several long talks. In fact, we may end up talking. What do you think? Oh, let's <laughs> fall in love. Now, why shouldn't we fall in love? Gladys Glover. Da, da, da. Yeah? Gladys Glover. Oh, he's talking about me. Well, it's the subject for your Manhattan nightcap for tonight. Many New Yorkers are speculating as to the answer to one of the most unimportant questions of the day. Namely, who or what? is Gladys Glover. Did you hear that? Now, signs bearing this mysterious name seem to be appearing all over our town, but it's this department's guess that Gladys Glover is a second cousin to the famous Kilroy. That's 30 for tonight, friends. See you tomorrow.
listening to KBOO Portland. Tune in the fourth Monday of each month at 11.30 a.m. to Voices for the Animals. We discuss the latest news and trends in the animal world.